guys. We want to welcome you to Small Church Shepherds, a weekly podcast of smallchurchshepherds.com. It's a ministry that exists to encourage and enrich and equip small church pastors. I'm Dennis Ellenberg, the pastor of Antioch Baptist Church in Brandon, Mississippi. And I'm James Clardy. I'm teaching elder and a member of Grace Falls Church in Fayetteville, Tennessee. And I'm Jonathan Greer, pastor of Franklin Creek Baptist Church in Moss Point, Mississippi. Well, guys, the um, holidays are over. We're moving into the rest of the year, and um, I'm not going to ask you guys what your New Year's resolutions are, or as I call them, the lies we tell ourselves that we will never fulfill. Um <laughs> But uh, we are moving into a new year. And and as we move into the new year, um, a a topic that we've been sort of discussing, talking about, is the idea of pragmatism. Um, Pragmatism seems to be everywhere in the church. In fact, Nine Marks wrote an article um, a while back called Pragmatists, Pragmatists Everywhere. And it's just this idea that pragmatism seems to be sort of the the theology or the um, ecclesiology du jour right now. And so as we sit down and sort of talk about pragmatism, um, we want to discuss what is pragmatism? How does it apply to smaller churches? What are the dangers of pragmatism to a smaller church? And, and just sort of flesh out that topic. And so I think a, a helpful way to begin is just with the definition of pragmatism. So let's just begin. And, and Jonathan, I'll start with you last week. So James, I'm going to kick it to you first. How would you define pragmatism? Um, yeah, I think it's great to define uh, because in this context, if we don't define it the right way, um, then pragmatism can be very, very negative thing for a local church um, if it's not divine, defined correctly. And, and the way that I've always defined it and I've heard other people define it, and it's real simple, it's, it's that idea of thinking that um, – the end justifies the means. Um, whatever result we want, um, and it can be in your business, it can be in your home, it can be in your local church. Uh, whatever end that you want, if it's a good end and it has good intentions, the means by which you attain that or get to that end, um, it must to be good no matter what it is. Um, so that's one of the simple Uh, definitions that I have always used and sort of in my mind as I'm talking about pragmatism, um, I'm usually thinking about pragmatism in in that that definition. And and, and Jonathan's may be different. Jonathan, what do you think? Uh, I I agree with you. Uh, If I would just say um, a simple but kind of divergent definition is just whatever works is right and whatever works is truth. Um, because there are so many things that we do in our life and we'll just say, well, it works, (laughs) you know? And I think that's, that's kind of the heart of pragmatism in my mind is when we start doing things in our life and especially in the church. And when someone brings up a objection to it, the answer is usually, well, it works, you know? And to me, that's pragmatism. Yeah, and the danger to me in, in pragmatism is that we get to the point where we start determining whether or not something is right or wrong or good and bad primarily by whether or not it gives us the desired results. So we start we start getting to the point where, to me, pragmatism is is what is good is determined by the consequences of what we do. 
and 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 that can be a very dangerous thing. And so I think we're all in agreement as to what the um, what the definition of pragmatism is. So the question becomes for us. Um, as we talk about pragmatism, pragmatism as we've defined it, can that be biblical? Um, not necessarily how others define it, but but based on our definition where um, whether or not something's good or bad or true or not true depends on the consequences or the results. Can that be biblical? Well, I think the a good way to say it is um, biblical practices can be pragmatic, but that does not mean that all pragmatic practices are biblical. Yeah, sort of like the saying that, you know, men have beards, but everyone who, you know, you can't say that every man has a beard. I mean, it, just because something is true doesn't mean that it's true in every situation. And, and so I think that's one of the dangers. James, you got anything yet to add to that? Yeah, I mean, as, as Jonathan's alluding to and he's saying quite well, yeah. is when we're thinking about uh, pragmatism, the problem, and again, using that same definition, if we use it in that secular worldview, that you're, you're thinking about the results is the beginning, it's the justification, it's where you're starting thinking about what is healthy, what is right, when for us as pastors, where we start is with the scriptures, and we ask, what does the Bible say? We don't go to the results just yet. We start at the Bible. We don't start at the results. So when you, for us, as we start at the scriptures, the sola scriptura, we ask, what does the Bible say about uh, a preaching, ecclesiology, uh, our soteriology, worship? Then the the end, the results take care of themselves. And as Jonathan said perfectly, the Bible, yeah, it will give us practical uh, instructions about those things, but but we're not doing it to be pragmatic for a certain result. We're actually doing it in obedience, starting with the scriptures instead of starting with the results. So we're starting back here with the scriptures. Instead of starting at the end, we want to start at the beginning. Go ahead. Well, and that brings me really to a distinction that I feel like we have to make. There is a distinction between the the worldview pra- the worldview f- philosophy of pragmatism and the everyday pragmatics that happen in people's lives because people can be functionally pragmatic in their view of the church when they're not necessarily full on with the philosophy of pragmatics in all areas of life you know yeah. Um, definitely. And, and I think when we're dealing with pragmatics here, I don't know. I feel like we're probably going to end up jumping back and forth between those two uh, ideas. Right. Well, I think part of the problem is that I think sometimes we get to the point, and, and I think pastors are as guilty as church members, where we think the Bible doesn't really say anything about how we do things. That the Bible is more concerned with these deep theological um, thoughts, but but really the, the Bible is very practical, and if you trust that the Bible is practical, then then you're going to find within Scripture um, ways of doing things that are are biblical and faithful, and I think that's important for us to, to note that I think sometimes we get caught up in thinking, okay, the Bible's going to tell me that I've got to believe in God, but it's up to me to figure out how do I teach people to do that. I've got to come up with the, the steps to do that. And I think that's where pragmatics begins to um, to creep into the church when we don't trust Scripture to give us those 
those um, those ways of doing these things. Well, and we need to acknowledge at the same time that that there's certain biblical precepts and advice given us to Scripture that are going to be just contra-pragmatism. You know, there are callings God places on people's lives. There's methods in which we are prescribed to live our lives that the world is going to look at us and say, isn't there an easier way to do that? Isn't there a more simplified way you could do this? And we will have to simply say, yeah, I understand that that might be, there might be a more pragmatic way, but this is, that's not what the word says. Yeah. I've I've encountered that many times throughout the year saying, wouldn't this be easier? And and I, and I just tell them, I said, well, let's start with this question. Let's not ask about what is easiest. Let's ask what is right. You know, mm-hmm. what, what are the scriptures calling us to do? Because we know this just as as men, as Christian men, as pastors, as fathers, sometimes the right things are the hardest things to do. And so, so but going back, Jonathan, you said earlier very clearly as, as we talk about this subject, make it clear to all the listeners, we're talking about philosophy of pragmatism in the local church and how you do ministry because the Bible's full of the indicatives, which lead to the imperatives. And imperatives, 90% of the time, are very practical. Do not do this, <laughs> you know, yeah. do this. And sometimes it's very, very clear and it's very, very practical. And so we, we are not against practice and doing things, but we're asking the question, and, and I know I am, and I do this in ministry every day, is our first question about any topic, if it's evangelism or this ministry or preaching, our first question is not what's the result that we want. That's not the question. The question for me anyway, I ask, okay, first, what does the scriptures have to say about this? And then we move forward from there. Um, mm-hmm. And like Jonathan said again, well, um, sometimes it looks very contra, very, very different to what the world itself is doing at that moment. And of course, we know that that makes us different because we're exiles, we're salt and light in this dark mm-hmm. cold. Well, I, we were. I was reading, and we were all talking before the podcast about an article by. Um, Chalice about pragmatism, and in it, he he alludes to um, William Carey, um, how he spent you know seven years ministering as a missionary in India before he had his first convert. Um, amidst, and and we all know the story of William Carey, even though I don't, I don't know how familiar all of our listeners will be with him. But during his ministry, his wife went insane. He lost children. Um, I mean, just such tragedy. It is easy for us in a modern pragmatic outlook and say, you could go back and say, well, was his method just not good enough? You know, yeah. was he really doing what God wanted him to do if he wasted seven years? You know, the the pragmatic worldview that we live in will look back and criticize him in that way. But we have to take the step back, as you were saying, James, say not what is quick, what not as much more efficient, but what is right. And what did God say? What did his word say? And and. I would say, looking back at people like William Carey, and that's just one example, we have to go back and say, no, they might not have been doing what was pragmatic, but they were doing what was right. Yeah, I, I heard one time talking about example William Carey, and I, and I know we're going to move on to uh, another question here. But but Christ Himself, according to the standard of pragmatism, that philosophy nowadays, Christ would be seen as a failure after three years of public ministry. He's left with what 120. You know, in the upper room, one has betrayed him, uh, uh, one denied him, of course, uh, 
um, and, uh, three times, that being the Apostle Peter. So even by pragmatic standards, we would say Jesus would struggle to be able to write a church growth book, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Just, just to, as you use William Carey, I think we, we can also look to the example of our Christ to say, listen, um, yeah, he, he did some practical things, but at the end of the day, um, he too would be criticized underneath in that same paradigm if we were to use that standard against him. Well, and one of the things that it leads me to ask then is what are some of the dangers of pragmatism? Um, What are some of the things, the results of pragmatism that can be dangerous to a smaller church? Because uh, let's be honest, there are some pragmatic things you can do um, that aren't really biblical that can cause results as far as, you know, you can get people to come into your church, you can get more people to attend, which all seem good, but what are the dangers of pragmatism? I I think, I don't know where the quote originated from, um, but there's a quote that says, what you win people with is what you're winning them to. Um, And I think when you give in to pragmatic results to draw people into your church, which all small churches are tempted to do, um, what you have ended up doing, um, well, I I, want to caveat that. If you have given in to pragmatic processes and in part of that pragmatism is removing biblical processes, then what you have done is that you have drawn people in to the pragmatism and to the easy way of things, and you have removed the very stumbling block that the gospel is supposed to be to sinners and the lost. Um, and I believe whenever you get to that point, it's a, it's a harm. So, like, is it wrong for you to have coffee out for your guests and your foyer when they come in? You know, no, that's not wrong. Um, is it wrong to have a worship band instead of a worship leader? You know, no, that's not wrong. None of that is bad. But there can be, you keep going in that direction even more, and what you end up in is this people-pleasing, seeker-sensitive church where everything is about bringing in the lost, and there's nothing there about discipleship, church discipline. There's nothing there about personal growth. There's nothing about feeding the flock that is there. It's more about just bringing in numbers. And I think that is ultimately harmful, even if on the outside, it looks like that church is growing. Ultimately, the true church there, I believe, would be dwindling. Yeah, I would agree. And then and add to Paul, speaking to Timothy, even knew about this principle, this false philosophy of pragmatism in Second Second Timothy in chapter four. After he tells him to preach the word, he tells him why people will want teachers to come in and scratch their itching ears. Um, well, if you think about that, that's that's pragmatism. Is the danger that that we're talking about ultimately is you you lose the preaching of the gospel, you lose the gospel. And now you may say, James, you've gone from step A all the way to Z, but we've seen it in our modern evangelical uh, 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 you know picture scheme, what now? What are you going to say? Context in America, where if we think about it, that that philosophy of pragmatism. Biblically speaking, a lost person, all right, desires other things besides the gospel. And if we want to fill our pews, we see churches less and less preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And their crowds may increase, but there's little preaching of the gospel. And and that quote that Jonathan gave, the first time I ever read that was Mark Dever about what you win them with, you win them to. Um, and if you look at it, biblically speaking, by our very nature, sin nature, lost men and women, they want 
fluff. They want that cotton candy type of theology and preaching. And unfortunately, if we live with a pragmatic philosophy, we will start giving them what they want. So our budgets, our buildings, and and everybody's filling the pews there. And so I, I think that's it is a danger. And the reason I say that, not only have I seen it and experienced it, but you can look at the broad evangelical scape right now, landscape, and see it taking place around us where men are flying in or on a harness in the middle of their sanctuaries, Mm. you know, coming down, bringing in, you know, motocross bikes in the middle of, you know, why? Because we have turned so pragmatic. And I have to ask this, when did the gospel become not enough? And, and, And I'm not trying to nitpick. Well, yeah, I am. It just makes me ill because when did that message become not enough anymore? Um, and so that that's the danger for me at the end of the day as a pastor. It's a gospel issue. It's just not talking about what's cool for the local church, but but man, preach that word, submit to that scripture, do it the way the Bible calls you to do, and trust, trust. Uh, um, the methods may be many, but the principles are, are few, just like the farmer um, who sows the seed. Our technology nowadays is amazing, but there's still the what? You got to break the ground. You got to put the seed in. You got to cover it up. You got to put water on it and let God give the growth. I just want to insert for a second. I was doing some research after that because I was curious. The original quote is from A.W. Tozer and is, you win them to what you win them with. Well, there you go. Well, I know for me. Tozer speaks. Yeah, Tozer dude. I know for me, um, there have been times, you know, I, I, I do it toward preaching. Um, but there are times, seasons where um, I'll preach through a book of the Bible, but then I'll, I'll take a little series and I'll do a series that hits a topic. And, and I'll never just preach a series and cherry pick verses. I always take a passage of scripture and we exegete that, that passage. But there have been several times where people have asked me, why don't you preach like that all the time? Why don't you just, you know, everybody enjoyed that. And, and I get that, and that there's this, this danger of feeling this, this urge to give people what they want. And, and, and my question is going back to what you said about people flying into their sanctuaries and all of this stuff is, is are they coming for the spectacle or, or are they coming to really hear the word of God and hear God speak through his word. And I think it's important as pastors that we realize our job is not to draw a crowd, although we we should want people to come and hear the gospel. Our, Our primary purpose is to feed the sheep and to give them often what, you know, I've been discussing with people for Bible studies next year, and they're like, we should do this Bible study, we should do this Bible study. And I'm like, yeah, but we need to do this Bible study because sometimes our job as leaders is to give people what they don't even know they need. And that's part of being a pastor is seeing, see that they need. And and one of the best ways of doing that is is to avoid pragmatism and, and, and push towards you know, doing things in a biblical manner. So, so here's my next question, and I think this is an important question. Are there examples of when pragmatic solutions to a situation can be orthodox, can be good, can be biblical, and are right in that situation? Uh, I think sure. Um, I think there are tons of of processes and methodologies that you can um, 
you can work into like evangelism and discipleship plans that ultimately you're going with a pragmatic approach. You're saying, how can I, like if you're looking at your com- church and your community and you're asking yourself a very pragmatic question in, as in how can I most efficiently get the majority of my people reaching the lost in our community. Like that's ultimately a pragmatic question. Um, If you're going to say, how do we do discipleship? There's books and books written about discipleship. And, and if you really get down and have arguments, there's, there's arguments over whether group discipleship is better or one-on-one discipleship is better. Um, and, And, and you can go back and forth on these things, but ultimately I think those are pragmatic questions that are still within the realms of orthodoxy. They're still biblical. We're still going to be able to achieve the gospel. We're not violating any direct commandment from Christ um, or his word to when we're doing those things. But yet we are seeking to be as pragmatic as possible about it. Yeah, I, I would I would say first, second Timothy and Titus are just so practical when it comes to ecclesiology and how we do the church. I mean, I would say it's the right kind of pragmatism if we're going to use that in a biblical in a biblical sense, just because, I mean, first, first Timothy chapter five is how to handle widows very, very practically. And so, and I believe like a plurality of elders, you know, the Bible gives us how the church should practically function um, in its ministries, its day-to-day as elders, as deacons. Those those are practical things for the church to do. So I would say, yes, first, second, I mean, the pastoral epistles, as they're called, to study those, know those, and they're going to give you advice practically what you need to be doing as a pastor in your local church and do that, you know, and do that and do those things. So that's where I would say, yes, I believe quite effectively and is, is you know, I think about uh, Trellis and the Vine, that book is a great book about how to balance. You know, you, you have the vine, the church, but the trellis is there to help the vine grow and flourish. And I think the Lord has given us some things. The scriptures have given us some things how to build that trellis uh, so so the vine can flourish. Well, just a practical thing that I just read this morning coming out of Timothy is Paul is talking to Timothy about the persecutions he's going to face. He's talking to Timothy. Uh, this is in Second Timothy chapter three. Um, he's talking to Timothy about um, the false teachers that he's surrounded with, you know, being there in Corinth. And and at the end of the day, what Paul says very practically, the practical solution to that is that famous passage we all know: all Scripture is is God breathed. He's you've got to go back to the Word of God, and that's as, as practical as you can get. How do I face? persecution? How do I face false teachers? Paul says, remember what you learned from your mother. Remember what you learned from me. Remember those principles. Go back to the Word of God. That's as practical as you as you can get. So the Bible is practical, and there are practical things in there, and we, we need to, we, we can't forget that. I think that's often what we forget is this the truth that the Bible is incredibly practical. Jonathan? Uh, I think it's something that's helpful that I have used often in my life, and I don't know if I should repeat who I first heard it from because he's, he's not in good standing now with most people. Uh, it's from Mark Driscoll. Uh, but he said, you know, when you're interacting with culture, uh, 
He said, you can, let's see if I can remember these right off the top of my head. He said, you can reject something from culture. You can redeem something from culture, or you could reuse something from culture. And the idea is that there are some things in this world that you just have to reject outright. There's no possible way that you can work them into a biblical worldview. There are some things in this culture that, um, you can redeem, which means if they're that maybe they're not used properly, but you can imagine or view a way of using them in a Christian worldview and in a Christian life in a way that is not sinful. And then there's reuse, which is something that there's just something out in the world that on its own is simple and pure and and a gift from God, and you don't have to do any changing to it. I think pragmatism in a a, a way can be redeemed. In, in certain aspects of small church shepherding. Um, one of those is in your scheduling of your of your life. Um, working out a schedule for when you study, when you visit people, when when are you having family time? When are you having time where you're not studying for a sermon, but you're doing personal devotion? Like and, and you're gonna look at what is the most pragmatic way I can work my week around so that I achieve all my goals? And ultimately, when we're looking at this philosophy of pragmatism, we said at the beginning, it's about the results. But your results that you desire have a source. And if we are desiring uh, biblical results, right. I think we can honor God and honor his word and still seek, and I'm, I'm going to use the word redeem there, seek to redeem some form of pragmatism, not full-out pragmatism as as the world would see it, just as a redeemed version of pragmatism in our ministry. And if you look at how how you just how you worded that, and you're talking about your priorities and all that, as far as your time, if you'll go in reverse, why do you feel like you need to set aside time for studying? Why do you feel like you need to set time aside for prayer in your family? It goes back again to the scriptures of what we believe about preaching, our families. So therefore, it has becomes a priority. We allot that time, and so therefore, again, I, I know I. I keep talking about it, but you're going back to that sola scriptura, the Bible, right. not, not being the sense of biblical pragmatism, but your priorities coming from that, they begin to dictate even your time now, how you spend your daily time because of, of who they are and the priority they are in the scriptures right. and in their lives. And, and I think, Jonathan, you hit on it when you said, you know, our, our definition of pragmatism or, or unbiblical pragmatism, I think, would be that the results are king. And I think the way we redeem pragmatism, to use that term you used, is not to make the results the king, but to make the principles king, which is scripture, to make scripture king and to make those pragmatic things bow down to scripture and to look at it and say, can this help me accomplish what God's called me to do, as opposed to, is this going to help me get cheeks in the seat, or is this going to help me increase my influence? Those, not in and of themselves, are, are necessarily evil things, but when they're the end, I think they become you know, little idols in our in our pastoral lives that can cause us to use pragmatism in an unchristlike like and so I think it's incredibly important for us to be careful. I think it all goes back to what's our goal. Is our goal to build our little K kingdom or is it to build God's big K kingdom? And is that 
thing we're trying to do is it within the realm and in the bounds of what scripture says is 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 tenable or allowable or biblical or is it something that's outside of that i think those are those are questions we have to ask so i, I that sort of leads into the next question what are some some examples of common pragmatic solutions to small church problems that really are not biblical and really are not theologically sound and are which which are really dangerous to small churches. Um, James, why don't you start that one off? Um, again, I, I would say it starts with the thinking. You got to start. Your thinking is going to shape your doing, and 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 so uh, you know, and, and looking toward the small church, get your thinking right about. Uh, 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 the the right kind of biblical sola scriptura study that know that um, because if you don't the dangers you run into is you live with with that mindset again like we mentioned earlier you're going to be doing foolish things in your church that make you look silly um, just just to win the world and, and we've seen tons of examples of people letting glitter out of the ceilings uh, during worship trying to say that it's the Holy Spirit you'll get people up there uh, again with a harness the guy coming in talking about Jesus returning he goes from the balcony uh, to the stage uh, you start running into a lot of little silly things and you think well that's just big churches well no you can go to a local small church and mm-hmm. you will see pastors do asinine things trying to to please a crowd and to get them to come back the next Sunday. And and what we're trying to plead with and convince um, everyone who listens is, is get back to that book. Let the word of God do its thing because the gospel, the souls of your people, the life and, and, and the health of that church, it is, it is, it is on the line. Jonathan. Uh, I, I just get uh, two things I want to point out is when things that are dangerous is because going back to the question is in the we see it from, I guess, now that we've talked a little bit, the king of pragmatism today in the modern church. And of course, it's a big church. But like you said, these things happen in small churches all the time. Um, Andy Stanley with unhitching the Old Testament, all right? Unhitching the Old Testament from the New Testament. So because if you go to like his reason for that is because new people coming into his church struggle with the commands of the Old Testament. They struggle with um, these different things. When he was talking about the resurrection, he he we got, he got in a big t- t- um, tuffle, kerfuffle, uh, about saying that you didn't have to believe the virgin birth as long as you could believe the resurrection. And, and and, and his reasoning behind that was because people struggle with the idea of a virgin birth, but they don't struggle as much with a man who predicted his own death and resurrection. And, and all of that is from that pragmatic mindset. But I could take that. My second thing I want to say is I, a small church example. When I was uh, still doing pulpit supply and looking at churches and I didn't have a place um, to serve, I would go to all sorts of small, tiny churches with less than 50, so a lot of them less than 30 members. Um, And I went to this one church. When I went to their Sunday school class, 
I, they weren't using the standard Lifeway material, <laughs> and I didn't I didn't know why. Um, I found out later that the reason they weren't using Lifeway material is because they didn't have the money. And so what they ended up doing is there was a Church of Christ down the road from them that was doing well, and they were using the borrowed, used Church of Christ literature for their Sunday school class. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm there— the lesson is on losing your salvation <laughs> and not a single person in that room was arguing with it. It was just, well, that's what the Sunday school book says. Yeah. And, and that was like a small pragmatic decision. We don't have enough money to buy a Lifeway, So we'll just borrow the books from a completely other denomination who has contrary um, theological views. And that solved a problem for that church but it caused a bigger problem in that they're in there teaching false doctrine and there's nothing to speak otherwise. And of course they didn't have a pastor at the time, but I, I don't know how long they had been doing that. Yeah. And to me, I think one of the dangers goes to when um, we're trying to, um, and I'm not saying, and let me just say this, I'm not saying that everyone does who does topical preaching does this. But when we we get into the pattern of topical preaching to the point where we're always trying to hit on the latest trend or the latest, um, you know, big thing that people are talking about in the church. And so our preaching becomes such that we're like you said in in Second Timothy, we're trying to to you know, scratch their itching ears and try and please them. And it's not about giving them a steady diet of the Word of God, but it's trying to come up with nifty sermon series that'll get them to come back next week and excite them and bring the crowd in. And it's always about trying to give them something trendy or edgy or exciting so that they come in. I mean, James? No, and and, and one of the dangers that I used to fall into, and, and sometimes I, I am, I, I have a tendency to get too pragmatic, but we see things work well for large churches. So right. our first thought is it worked for them. It's going to work for me and I need to get this here. So if it's a book, if it's a program that Lifeway puts out there, whatever it may be, we yeah. try to get it and we try to use it again with a pragmatic sense of we're going to, we're going to fill it up. We're going to do these things. We're going to fill the pews up and we end up again in danger because we're trying to use someone else's method instead of asking, um, okay, what, what do I need to do with the Bible says? And, 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 and sort of on the side note here, I just want to encourage everybody is what, why that happens. I think, and it happened to me is I felt like I wasn't good enough because we weren't a big enough church. Right. So since we weren't big enough, we didn't have the real answers. We couldn't, we didn't have the money for the real answers. And Guys, that is so wrong. It's 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 anti-biblical. I mean, Bible. Um, and so, and I, and that's why we're talking with small church shepherds. I think we we get pragmatic because we desire so much to glorify God, to see the lost saved, people discipled. So we look up to these leaders in our convention and around you know the world, and we see what they're doing. And, and all of a sudden, before you know it, you're canceling worship services because you're tired. But anyway. So you end up doing those things um, because why? We look up to these leaders, these bigger churches. They must have it figured out when, hey, be encouraged. The, the good work that you're doing, it may be a smaller field, a smaller flock. But again, that, that Bible is still sufficient for a congregation of 20,000 or, or 50. But also, I mean, James, just sort of to build on that, I know when I was church planning, 
one of the things was, you know, you have these, and I know we have some church planners who listen to the podcast. There, there are times when there are processes and there are, you know, this is the way things have to be done. And I know with us, because we had to have elders, because I felt that was a biblical model, we asked some guys who were not ready to be elders to be elders because, well, we've got to have them. We have to have it. So I think it's always born, like you said. I think very rarely is it born out of a out of a um, a, a, a bad. Um, I can't think of the word I'm trying to use here. Well, it comes from good intentions. It comes from it's good. It's usually good intentions. Yeah, and and I think that we need to be cautious not to condemn guys who get into that situation and say, you know, they, they've got bad intentions and to realize that often they're doing it for a good reason. But we just need to be cautious that we're doing things biblically. Well, um, any other comments about pragmatism? Anything else that you guys have today? Um, those are our questions today, but anything y'all want to add um, on this discussion? James? I, I would encourage you to do two things. Number one, read Trellis in the Vine. Buy that book. Read it. It's very good. Uh, talking about how discipleship works. Um, also, how to uh, uh, um, uh, build structures biblically. Um, that will make the trellis healthy, not get out of hand, but go in the right direction. Number two, get familiar with the five solas of the Reformation, specifically sola scriptura. Study it, know it, uh, get the definition for it. Let it start shaping and molding your thinking when it comes not just how to do church, but every facet of your life. The scriptures touch every part of our life, and we need to mm-hmm. let the scriptures inform it and shape it and mold those parts of our lives, include obviously ourselves. So that's my encouragement. Those two things. Get that book. Study it. Um, know it, use it. It's got great little worksheets in there for your staff or for your elders, uh, for accountability, how to disciple folks, but also practically how to help grow that in discipleship. And of course, again, study that solo scriptura. You'll be blessed and, and, and be encouraged. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll just throw in a few uh, recommendations. I'll second his trellis in the vine. Um, he mentioned the five solas in the episode notes. I'm going to put a link to uh, a great five series books on the solas. If you want to really do some in-depth study, I'm going to link to um, a great series on that as well in the notes. I will put links to the Chally series of articles on yeah. pragmatism and to the Nine Marks article on pragmatism. So if you want to do some further reading on the topic. Yeah, um, and, and I would encourage people to read Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. I think that's a great place to go with some yeah, ideas a great book. healthy church. Um, and, and not only does Nine Marks have those um, healthy church books, but they have smaller, more bite-sized books on discipling and church membership that I think are incredibly helpful. Um, there's also a great book by um, Timothy Whitmer called The Shepherd Leader that I would encourage you to read that talks about shepherding. Um, you know, one-to-one Bible reading by David Helm. Those are just some great books that I've found that have been very helpful to me in doing, um, you know, doing ministry well and how do you do those things um, well. Um, Jonathan, you got anything else? No, but I'll just start us going out by asking our questions to our readers, um, our readers, our listeners. (laughs) This is not it. Asking questions to our listeners. Um, What is your view of pragmatism in the church? And by, by that, do you see pragmatism in the church as a problem or a blessing? And if there's anything you feel like we've done wrong, correct us. Send us 
an email at smallchurchshepherds at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And anything else you'd like to hear us discuss, we'd love to hear from you in the mailbag at smallchurchshepherds at gmail.com. James, why don't you take us out, man? All right. We want to thank you guys so much uh, for listening. Again, we encourage you to participate with us as we encourage Small Church Shepherds. A couple ways that you can help us in that, you can get on Twitter and look us up at Small Church um, on Twitter. Find that. Follow us on there. Also on Google, if you have any questions, uh, comments, concerns, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at smallchurchshepherds at gmail.com. We want you to go to iTunes, download the latest, uh, of course, uh, podcast, subscribe to us. And we need a big favor from you. We need you to review, five-star review. Um, do the, Leave a five-star review. Rate us. Uh, again, if you have any questions there, leave it there. And then share it. Let other people know what's going on so that we can encourage them and you can be a part of our ministry. And, of course, on Facebook, you just look for Small Church Shepherds. You can find us there. You can just follow us there. Uh, you can share our blog articles, a podcast. If you've got any questions, thoughts, even recommendations for series to read, sermons listen to, we would love that. Uh, we thank you guys so much for your support. Uh, we love you all. Uh, be encouraged, be blessed, and y'all have a great day. Music